Welcome back, team, to another episode of Beautiful Dust Specs, a podcast designed to teach you that the ordinary is truly extraordinary. I'm your host, Alex Hofeld. You bring the curiosity. I'll bring the science. Let's do this. Hello again, homies. Welcome back. How you guys doing? Hopefully you guys are having a good week here. And I'm in spring break here as a teacher, so I can't complain too much. It's beautiful outside. The sun is kind of shining. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about sunlight. What motivated me to do this episode is we just got done with daylight savings times. Kind of funny, you know, you actually think that we're saving time. We're actually just moving clocks around so that we can get more time throughout the business day, which seems a little archaic, a little outdated. I think I heard it was instituted by Benjamin Franklin for business purposes, but for now, it just kind of messes with us, right? It just gives us our screwed up Carcadian rhythms and you get that thing called Tired Monday and there's like a 5% correlation to more convictions take place on the Monday after daylight savings times than before. Well, I don't know. But it is nice to have more sunlight when you are when you actually flip over. It's always amazing, isn't it, how pliable our bodies is? It feels really weird at first, but then our rhythms are going to find their way and your Carcadian rhythms are, I might be saying that wrong, um, they are this kind of cycle that your body follows with sleep. It's why you're more, more prone to fall asleep if, say, you lay down around two or three in the afternoon versus because it's a 24-hour flip of the two to three a.m. that you guys are more likely to fall asleep and hit REM sleep. But anyways, I don't want to talk too much about daylight savings or any of that. We've been talking about the sun. I've been talking about this craziness of the idea of what the sun is, you know, the ideas and the wonders of it being the thing that it is right now. This massive ball of hydrogen 93 million miles away from us just shining down, illuminating the entire globe, not only illuminating it, energizing it with what we talked about in the in the episode after that, which was the earth sink, the earth heat engine, that the equator just gets full you know, filled up, just gets blown away by this stellar energy because it's closest to the sun. And that energy is what perpetuates all of the randomness that is the chaos and beauty and wonder that is this ecosystem. Again, we are open to energy, closed off to matter. So the Legos, the matter, the building blocks, the atoms that are here on this planet have been here forever, have been here for 4.5 billion years, not forever, obviously, but for timescales grander and more vast than we could ever comprehend. And the star, the sun that is this thing that gives us life, that energizes you, me, and us, has been here for as long as you can remember. Every single day of your life, you wake up and there is light, right? You know that. Daylight, nighttime. You understand these concepts. You wake up to an illuminated world every single day. Do you understand that that, that light is also metabolic energy that can be co-accreted, condensed, coalesced through the process of photosynthesis to give us the wonderful byproducts of O2 and C6H12O6, good old glucose that gets the perpetual trophic level of everything going. And that uh, that is something that I just want to comprehend more so than ever. You know, again, take a second to come back, re-reflect on that idea that all of the energy in you, in us, on us, throughout us, throughout everything you're seeing today that is living, you know, even the ripples that I'm seeing on my lake right now is fueled by energy from starlight. Not just any starlight, the good old sun, the good old soul up there, you know, 93 million miles away, 4.5 billion years, going to continue to burn for another five that sun, that star, those things have not always been here. The universe itself is 13.7 billion years old. So if the sun is 4.5, about 5 to 4.5, they think, you know, it, it, it took some time. And now I want you to imagine 
just light, just this idea of photon, this particle in a wave, this amazing thing that is the byproduct of thermonuclear fusion. And we talked about it. We understand that this is where the thing came from, and that's where light is generated. That was not always known knowledge. This kind of started again, always coming back to Einstein. E equals mc squared shows, and the equations tell us that a tiny bit of matter can be converted into a copious amount of energy. And if you think about conversion of energy, or just the compre, you know, the conversion of matter and energy, the first and second law of thermodynamics is the an atomic bomb. You know, when they when they invented the H-bomb, the first one that was sadly dropped on Japan, the first two, Fat Man and Little Boy, that's a fusion bomb. That is where it actually, I'm sorry, a fission bomb, F-I-S-S-O-N, where they actually rip apart and potential energy that is bound up in the strong nuclear forces of the atoms themselves is what makes that so incredibly epic, so incredibly intense, it is these is it's just a huge massive amount of energy that can be released teeny tiny in relative respect to if you could actually fuse the atoms together so this all came apart this came around for a long time that einstein did this they did not know forever what fueled the sun what generated this perpetual energy of heat you know they, they used to think it was maybe wood they thought it was you know they, they just they didn't really know for the longest time so in 1920 fw ashton discovered that four atomic nuclei of hydrogen the first element on the periodic table actually weighed less than one atomic atomic ion of helium and that's something to think on that's that's crazy to think and when you look at it from this respect from fusion it makes perfectly logical sense and this was all thrown into consideration and really came to fruition with sir Ar sir arthur eddington he was the first guy to really discover and interconnect and put the pieces together to show that the only thing that could that the, the cores of the suns were so big that that's what would that's what would be perpetuating this incredible heat the heat itself would be generated and and created from thermal nuclear fusion and that's what we know today. We know that stars are massive balls of energy, huge, massive, copious amounts of mainly hydrogen. The vast majority of the sun and stars you see in the nighttime sky are still just burning hydrogen. They're what we call main sequence stars in what's called hydrostatic equilibrium, meaning they're not expanding nor contracting. And we want that. We want our sun to stay in hydrostatic equilibrium because when it doesn't, when it does it, and when it goes out of it and it starts burning helium, it's going to be the end of this planet. And I do mean the end. I do mean not like, oh, bad, we'll adapt. No, Billions and billions of years from now, most likely, we don't know definitively, most likely everything you see around us will be turned to water vapor as the sun perpetually expands out to the red giant phase, getting hotter and hotter and overtaking our own orbit. So, you know, appreciate the day because we only have so many days left. Sooner or later, that sun will just burn out, turn into a white dwarf. It'll be a diamond. And there we go. And we know this. We talked about the stellar cycle, this idea that however much mass you compress together, how much ever you get at the beginning, that is what determines your life cycle. Our sun will never go supernova. It will never explode because it has so much mass. It doesn't have enough mass. I'm sorry. It has not enough mass. You need to be upwards of four, I think, seven solar masses, seven to eight solar masses to go supernova. That's seven to eight times greater than our sun is today. Yeah, that's a big, big star. There are huge, amazing stars out there. Milky Way Galaxy, 200 billion stars. We just talked in class about the local groups of 54 galaxies, the clusters of hundreds of groups, and the super clusters that are hundreds or thousands of clusters. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We just keep going perpetually onwards in our understanding of the huge, epic awesomeness that is these cosmos. Let's go back, though. Talking about, you know, all this awesomeness of light, daylight savings times, there was a time in the universe where there was no light. The universe was the darkest thing you could ever comprehend. And we now have amazing amounts of details and understandings and ideas of where this light came from. So in order to appreciate daylight savings time, let's take a step back and appreciate light. And let's appreciate how the universe came into being, how how the first light and energy was cre created in the cosmos. Not energy, but the first actual physical light that illuminates the world 
world around you. And why is light important? Your world exists in a visible spectrum. Your world exists as a reflection and of a reflection of an absorption, a reflection and absorptions of all different types of colors. You look at my shirt right now. My shirt is black. I have a shirt. You can't look at it. Sooner or later, I'll do a video, but not quite yet. My shirt that I'm wearing right now is black. And what that means is it is all of the colors that are absorbed. Nothing gets reflected. And the three cones, the red, yellow, the red, green, and blue cones of your eye perceive black if these the paper that i'm looking at is white that is all the colors reflected i'm seeing my girlfriend's drawings in front of me this whole tapestry this whole a collection of all different kinds of different different colors on this cool little watercolor trees it's just those colors are everything is absorbed but blue and i see blue everything is absorbed but red and i see red because that is what gets reflected back to me so the light itself is what allows for art to exist you think about it right you take the most gorgeous painting you could ever possibly imagine you turn the lights off does the painting still exist if you could never turn the lights on to see the painting, the most amazing painting ever is still, it, it, it does it exist, right? It Would it even be there? You wouldn't be able to see and understand the Mona Lisa without the collection, the composition, the texture of these amazing things that we get to call color. The color, though, is just the absorption and the reflection of light. So our cosmos at one time could not create art. It could not have the things that it have. So the universe expands. It goes out. And for like three, three minutes, from three minutes after the Big Bang, to about 20 minutes after the Big Bang. It is just, in, in essence itself, a singular, almost like a massive star. So incredibly hot that nothing was really fusing, but the, the things were going, they were they were changing. You know, that the, there was what we call a, a plasma was taking place, that the protons, neutrons, and electrons couldn't really combine together. Protons and neutrons within a second were able to, a second after the Big Bang, it took one second to form up the first nuclei, but it took a long, long time. It took 380,000 years before finally the universe inflated and expanded enough, cooled down enough to where the protons, neutrons could gather and obtain these electrons. And this is what we call the cosmic background radiation. This is when when, when the universe became electrically static. All of the atoms you see in the room around you, the oxygen, the nitrogen, the hydrogen, the chlorine, the calcium, the iron, whatever you see in your world right now in your vision, those are all atoms that are that are collected correctly. They're all ready to go. They are they are neutral, meaning that the electrons that are negative balance out the proton and neutron positive charge, and the atom stays together. If it doesn't, that's when stuff changes. That is when you manipulate chemistry. That's when you're moving things around. So the universe, the world, went through this crazy time that we get to call the dark ages that began after 380,000 years. And we know this because there was this theory that if the universe was this kind of cosmic star, really, almost like an entire plasma star, that when it went electrically neutral, there would be this incredible epic flash of energy as kind of the photons and the other energy particles no longer bounced into the positive and negative. Because if you have positive and negative, you can't go anywhere because you'll be attracted in all different directions. The universe itself would almost be like Velcro. But when the Velcro sticks together, when it finds its soft end to its hard end, and it can actually stick together just like a piece of Velcro, and the protons and neutrons gathered up the electrons, the universe goes electrically neutral. And now the light can escape, and it can escape in all directions, universally and perfectly. And it expands outwards in every direction, and we are now, we are able to obtain that. And we did. It was almost accidental. It was a radio telescope that they were trying to use to get better radio signals, and everywhere they turned it, it created this little fuzz, almost like the snow on your TV, like the old school TVs or fuzz on a radio. A little teeny tiny bit of that fuzz is the cosmic background radiation itself. And this is energy. This is tangible evidence for what the universe was like 380,000 years ago. And after this, the universe goes into this crazy time that's called the Dark Ages. Millions and millions of years, the universe is dark. And I mean dark, I don't mean 
starlight. I mean, if you were out there in the cosmos, the cosmos would be infinite blackness. Maybe you'd be able to perceive some kind of heat or something. I really don't know. I'm assuming it would be really hot, but there would be no stars. There would be no starlight. There would be no twinkles, no nothing. Just the darkest, most incredible thing you can think about, forever expanding, accelerating, combining in all directions. But we now have information from the BICEPS-2 telescope that shows us that the W map, that's not right, not the BICEPS-2, the W map is a telescope itself. They they depict it and they show that within these tiny, within the cosmic background, the W map itself, there are epic teeny tiny little variations in heat and density, mainly density. And just this itty bitty teeny tiny amount of density given enough time was enough to start to bring together the bring together the gas, bring together the stuff that was going to be able to turn into the crucibles that are starlight, that are suns. And suns not only create chemistry, they create the light. So outside of the dark ages, what we're talking about here is the very first light. And this is kind of unknown. We don't truly kind of, we don't truly understand what this thing is. So long, long, long time ago, you know, 380,000 years after the Big Bang, the light comes out and we get this CBR. And now it tells us all about this, you know, this craziness that is this, this new, new stellar energy, this new birth, this new evolution, this new change in the cosmos itself. And the universe began creating stars about 3.8 billion years after the Big Bang, which is about 10 billion years at, 10 billion years ago. This was actually the peak time of star formation. Really quickly with stars, the bigger the star is, the hotter it burns, the crazier it is, the, the gnarlier the star is. You can kind of think about it, although it has more fuel to burn, it burns through the fuel hotter. And hotter means more fusion. Hotter means bigger crucibles. Hotter means more energy to be able to be, create bigger and bigger elements, bigger and bigger gnarliness. So these big stars, they think now that the first stars in the cosmos would have been huge. And right at the beginning, since this universe is just seeded with gas and dust, the first stars were able to collect a massive amount of gas, a massive amount of helium, and ignite the helium as epically big stars. Some of the biggest stars we know today are like 10 to maybe 100 solar masses, you know, just absolutely huge. That's a huge discrepancy. I should have written it down. It's called V.Y. Canis Majoris. I forgot the true solar mass of the thing, but incredibly big. And a star star that's upwards of 8 to 10 solar masses is a star that is most likely going to go supernova, like Betelgeuse, the Carina Nebula, these things that are out there were stars that are massive, massive, massive. If I tell you it's 100 solar masses, it's 100 times greater than our sun is today. A sun that we could fit 1 million of our planets into. Crazy big. So they think these first stars would have been huge, huge, huge stars. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of solar masses. And these stars would have burned through really quickly. So this is actually the peak time time as the peak time of star formation. Today, there is a progression, this downward percentage that is decreasing every single year, year after year, year after year. We are getting less and less star creation in the cosmos. And that seems weird, but it makes sense. So this stars that were these big stars at the beginning were able to seed the universe with light. These were the first beacons, the first things that were able to now illuminate the cosmos. So 380, 380 billion years after the Big Bang, long time. That's an incredibly long period of time billions of years after, finally, the cosmos has light. The cosmos has stars. They have these things that are able to do these, do what they do. They were able to seed these cosmos with it. And this puts in motion the wonders of today. This puts in motion all of the stuff that we need. We need these things to do this, to do what they do. We need them to not only generate light, we need them to die. Because in the death throes, in these massive stars that would be able to rip through their fuel really fast, hugely quickly, more, more faster than we can comprehend, relative to a human life, it would be forever. Relative to a star life, it would be incredible. 
incredibly short. And in this death, in this chaos, they're able to fuse all these elements together, turn hydrogen into helium, helium to carbon, to nitrogen, oxygen, all the way up to iron. The biggest, the, the heaviest element is number 26 in the periodic table, Fe, iron. And yes, all of the iron in you at one time or another was forged in stars, huge. They were most, the iron in your blood, the iron that makes up the core of our planet were created in these massive stars. So when these stars go out and they burn out at this peak pinnacle, peak pinnacle, same thing, <laughs> this huge beginning of all of these star formations, they are finally able to not only seed the cosmos with more diverse gas, more complex, more entropy in the in the, in the world, they're also going to explode. And their shockwaves that are going to send out at speeds at or near the speed of light are going to transfer through the cosmos for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of light years. And that, that shockwave brings the power to slam into other gas clouds that we call nebulae and ignite new stellar birth. And now not only will they ignite new stellar birth, now the protostellar disks, these kind of rings that like a, like a, like a pizza dose flattening out, actually reverse kind of like a pizza dose reversing inwards, pulling towards the center. Now when these new stars are able to actually create new elements, they're also going to be able to now have more diverse gas clouds, have more diverse protostellar disks that are able to create more complex structures, aka planets, aka you, me, and us. So that's an amazing tale. When we look at the daylight savings times, when we look at all these things, it makes us, it should make us appreciate what light is. You know, light up your life, light of everything. Light has this connotation, the light side and the dark side, that dark is always evil and light is always good. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. You know, it always comes up. It, it, Harry Potter nerd, it's still coming up. We're just, we're re, I'm rewatching the movies right now because I'm a geek y'all but the light that is out there in the world has not always been there but the light that is today and forever was in on our planet in your life most likely if something really bad happens to our sun you know the light has done things it, it has a purpose it has a journey it's not it's this thing that we take for granted but we need to appreciate what this is the light you see right now all of the light that you've ever seen in your life, you know, not all, but the light that me means most to us has been generated by one star, one teeny tiny star, a very small yellow dwarf, kind of a medium road, one solar mass star, been burning for five billion years, five billion more. That star has created the light that has fueled all of humanity, all of the, the wonder and the awe, the epic and the awesomeness, the horror and the sadness, the love, the hate, you name it, the art, the music, the beauty, this voice, my talk, my food, all of it in some way, shape, or form comes back to the sun, comes back to the starlight. And the sun that we have today, the sun, has was obtained a long time ago. But 4.5 billion years ago is nothing compared to 13.7. So all of that energy, all of that matter that is in the sun, in you, in me, in us, has been here for 13.7 billion years, but it's changed. It's evolved and it's adapted. And science always teaches us that. Science teaches us to embrace chaos, to embrace the change. We need death in the cosmos. We needed these massive, huge, epic stars, hundreds of, solars, hundreds of solar masses, burning through their life cycles at incredible speeds to allow us to have a more diverse cosmos. If the universe, I don't know if or why, if the universe at the beginning, after the before the CBR, if that CBR went electrically neutral and the cosmic background radiation showed that there was just a total uniformity within the gas, we wouldn't be here. On a religious connotation, no, that doesn't make sense. But from our scientific standpoint, that gas, if it was perfect, perfectly smooth, like the most smooth sandbox you can imagine, and there was no variations in density, there therefore could be no variations in the amount of mass. No variations in the amount of mass would not allow for more gravity to come 
compress the gas together. And as you compress a gas, it heats up. And it's a snowballing effect. As more matter gets pulled into the snowball, the snowball grows, pulling in more gas, increasing the gravity, then increasing the temperature until finally 10 million degrees Kelvin could be hit in the cores of these stars, kicking into motion the creation of the of the chemistry of the world, the creation of the cosmic the, the cosmic amazingness, the cosmic chemistry that is us. And again, I've told you this, and I hope you understand it. Carl Sagan's most famous quote: "We are all star stuff." And it's not only are we star stuff; we're energized by starlight and the energy, the beauty, the wonder of life is fueled by this sun. You glance up at it. Technically, you're seeing it as it existed 8.2 minutes ago, because light is not instantaneous. But now we see this cosmos, and we see our seasons change here as we go from winter into into we go from winter into summer and you get spring even and you get to see the world just light up you feel that energy that just pulsates through the through the nature of the world when the sun when our sun gets hotter when we get more energy through it circadian rhythms vitamin d all these processes of everything tied to light the light has been on a journey the light has not always been here and remember that remember that we need to light up our lives. We need to be the tiny little crucibles. We need to suck in and bring together as much matter and energy as possible into our day so that we can see what happens. We can create, we can compress, we can condense. Let one dream die so that another can flourish, right? Just this kind of cyclic nature. And we've ta I've said this so many times on the show. Everything's a circle. We go in these circle, perpetual motions of everything. You know, our life is a circle. It has a beginning and an end. And just like these stars, from the moment the first stars were born, they were on their way out. But the original first stars were made entirely of hydrogen and a little bit of helium and that hydrogen was able then to compress down condense down and create the rest of the periodic table and that's what we are we are the manifestation of chemistry interacting with the laws of physics the chemistry interacting with physics in nature ecologically is what we call biology and that's how the three integrations of the sciences work but all of these sciences come into play the humans that were able to discover this the people that were able to think on this thought about it because they were filled with energy they were filled with energy from eating food eating food that is part of the trophic epic ecology pyramids that allow for energy to perpetuate through an ecosystem. And now we understand that when we see the light, we see the star, we see the sun, that stuff has been here a long, long time. But in the end, all of that energy came out of the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago. So you now have the gift, you have the matter, you have the energy within you, within us. What do we want to do with it? How are we going to sling it to the masses? How are we going to throw it out there and make it change the world? How are we going to perpetuate and adapt and change to the world around us? How are we going to use our energy to change the energy, to change the output of someone else around us? We're going to fill up our energy with love. We're going to fill up our energy with joy, with dreams, with awesomeness, with awe, with creativity. And we're going to see what happens. The the universe created the chemistry for us, for it, for you, me, and this to be the things that we're going to be. So go out there and be a star. Shine bright. Enjoy the light. Enjoy the energy. Get outside. Do epic things. Eat great food. Be great. Be awesome. Be you. Be epic. Be sweet. Be that walking, talking, thinking, feeling intergalactic ball of star debris energized by starlight that you truly are, you beautiful dustbeck. Peace. <laughs>all right people so if you are enjoying the show i'm stoked i hope you are i hope you're loving this creative endeavor that is beautiful despects if you could do me a favor go on to itunes rate review it even subscribe to it and first and foremost share it with your friends share it with somebody who you think this would resonate with share it with somebody that you think would dig science share it with somebody that you, you know you think doesn't quite know that they dig science but i hope you're seeing this is more than just a science show this is a life show this is a motivational show this is a passion project this is just a way a new angle to look at the world a new lens 
lens to throw the to, to put over your eyes to see everything in the in its epicness that it is right the ordinary that is truly extraordinary so hopefully you like it if you are shoot shoot me a line shoot me an email at beautiful go to or shoot me an email at beautiful dustbecks at gmail.com and we can we can chat we can rap shoot me a comment on facebook for facebook forward slash beautiful dustbecks instagram beautiful dustbecks and then twitter it is at alex hofelt a-l-e-x-h-o-f-e-l-d-t and we can rap about science rap about life rap about whatever or just say hey man i'm listening and i dig it and i will say hey man thanks for listening glad you dig it all right guys hope you have a wonderful week be awesome be you be epic see ya